0: The Deep Dive with Nick Babel. Welcome to The Deep Dive with Nick Babel. I'm your host, Nick Babel. My guests today, and that's plural guests today, our returning champion, Kurt Parker. Hey! And his lovely fiance, Jesse Walsh. I don't know why that's a tongue twister. (laughs) Hey! um guys welcome to the podcast um, today we will be going back to star trek i'm sure there's a bunch of you that are like uh eh, star trek but i think enough of you get it um and this episode isn't like uh you know a nerdy star trek you need to know what's going on episode um we're really when star trek when it is really being successful is full of moral, ethical, and philosophical questions and problems. Uh, the captains and crews in starfleet have tough decisions to make and they honestly, they don't always get it right. Uh, sometimes they even get it way wrong. Uh, today we will be talking about some of these episodes and the implications of these moral quandaries. Uh, Jesse Jessie is here. Uh, It's not a complicated name. I don't know why I'm stumbling on that. Jessie is here because while she is a Star Trek washer, she's probably more of a casual fan. Uh, And she'll give us her opinion on the issues without some of the character baggage that Kurt and I may have. Uh, Kurt, is there anything else you'd like to add about you know, how Star Trek deals with morals and ethics and all that stuff? Um, yeah, so they don't always
1: deal with moral or ethical things, or when sure. they do, it'll it'll be sort of just incidental or whatever. Uh, I think everything we're going to talk about today is more or less a, a central plot line of the episode. It's the reason the episode exists. Um, and the other thing I think we should point out, too, before we go any further, is that I guess I'm going to give you a spoiler warning, but at the same time, uh, at least on my list that I've come up with, the newest episode I have aired nearly 20 years ago.
2: Yeah.
1: So um, nothing is from either of the new series. Every the, the newest series we're doing on this podcast today is uh, Enterprise, which ended in 2005, 2006. Yeah. Did four seasons. 2005, I think. Yeah. I so right. yeah, like like I said, almost 20 years ago. At least on my list, uh, the ne- newest
0: episode aired in 2002. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So spoiler, but not not really. You know, it's if you haven't watched it yet, I mean, get like, on it. Why are you listening to this episode? <laughs> um. And like I said, even if you don't watch Star Trek and you don't plan on it. It's kind of interesting to think about some of these, you know, what, what would you have done kind of, kind of questions. Um, Kurt, since you're the guest, you and Jesse, you want to go first?
1: Okay. Um, I think I'm not going to start with what's first on my list because it might be the best one or maybe the most fun one. Yes. So maybe I'll start with uh, Deep Space Nine's Children of Time. Uh, It was season five, episode twenty-two. It originally aired on May fifth, nineteen ninety-seven.
0: Do you have this one? This is not the Deep Space Nine episode. Okay.
1: So the basic plot summary is that the Defiant is on a recon mission in the Gamma Quadrant. Um, Everybody's kind of sick and tired of what they're doing. They want to get home. They're on the way back, and they find this planet that has this weird energy field around it. So they do a little detour um Dax is kind of spearheading the whole thing uh Sisko's there and everything but Dax is like hey yeah I think we can make it through this energy field we can take a look at the planet maybe it's it'll be something interesting or useful whatever um so as they go through the energy field the ship is slightly kind of damaged Kira gets this weird shock from the uh the console she's sitting at and um As soon as they get through the energy field, the ship's all damaged. They're not going anywhere for a few days for sure. O'Brien's got to make all these repairs. Um, And immediately they get hailed uh, from the surface. Um, The guy who hails them from the surface is Yedrin Dax, the leader of the colony. It turns out when the Defiant left the planet a couple days later, they get slingshotted back in time 200 years, and then uh, the ship crashes and so the people that are hailing them from the planet knew exactly when they were going to arrive because uh, you know the ships logs and all that stuff. And it's still Dax; it's still the Dax symbiote in a new person. Um, so they were expecting them basically. They knew exactly when they'd show up, so they hailed them like, "Hey, we've been expecting you." Um, so basically, they go down, they do a little tour. They're all friendly, friendly with everybody. Um, they get to meet their sort of descendants. Uh, there's even this group of like Klingons, wannabe Klingons that are Worf's descendants. They're just like these, I don't know. They, they look like posers kind of, but they're, they're trying to do the, the, the thing, you know, but everybody's coexisting nicely. Everything's good. Um, of course, you know, the whole, their whole existence uh, hinges on the defiant crashing when they go to leave the planet. And, you know, they're very open about that. Like, yeah, we're here because you guys crashed when you go to leave in two days. Um, So one of the other kind of plot lines is that Kira, when she got that shock, it like damaged her uh, nervous system or whatever. And she was sort of fine, but for the time being, but she needed to get back for treatment. Like she needed to get back within a few days to the station for treatment. Um, when the ship crashes in the other timeline, or whatever you want to call it, she's the first one to die. She doesn't die in the crash, but she dies from injuries from going through the energy field or whatever. Um so Dax is still there, as I already said. He's sort of the leader of the colony. Odo is also still there. Um, because I think shapeshifters basically live forever or whatever. And the Uh, 200 extra year old Odo guy is like, his facial features are almost fully realized. He's got better at shape shifting and all this stuff. And the original Odo, or our our normal Odo that's on the Defiant still, um, he's, uh, he can't shape shift back into human form because of the weird stuff with the energy field. The other Odo has figured that out. So The I I I guess I should call him a different name. The Colony Odo, I guess. (laughs) The Colony Odo um, is the only Odo that we deal with for most of the episode. And when he sees Kira, he like confesses his love for her. That he's always loved her, and uh, like seeing her again, like just awakened all this stuff in him that he's been thinking about for the past two hundred years. Um. Anyway. I guess just going a little bit, just trying to progress the whole thing on. Um, They're trying to work on a way to leave. Uh, Yedrun Dax is uh, helping them out with it. Um, Jadzia Dax finds out that the calculations he gave her are actually going to make them crash again. He, like, sabotaged their effort. They confront him about it. He admits it because, obviously, you know, there's 8000 people on the surface of the planet that rely on them crashing in 2 days when they leave right. um so a bunch of stuff happens anyway all the crew at first it's sort of half and half and then they eventually realize hey you know what like o'brien wants to get back to his family and you know there's all this stuff about like who ends up with who on the crew of the defiant and everything they eventually realize or they eventually decide that you know what the best thing to do it will be to just just do it just crash and then you know the colony will exist will save 8000 people so they go to do it and uh to their surprise they make it out they scan the, the surface of the planet everything's gone all of the the 8000 people they're gone they never existed all right. um so they're like, "Ah, well, Yedron Dax must have like realized he was asking the original crew of the Defiant to sacrifice their lives, and that wasn't fair, and all this other stuff." And then you know it's sort of left at that for a minute, and then it cuts to uh, uh, the the original Odo, the not colony Odo. Yeah. He talks about how uh, the other Odo joined with him. And he got, you know, all of his memories and everything. And it turns out it was Colony Odo who uh, changed the calculations and everything because he didn't want Kira to die. And this is, I had actually forgotten all of this. I, I, I actually searched for this episode, uh, searching for like other moral dilemmas on Star Trek because I wanted... A different example than some other stuff I was thinking about. Yeah. So not only is this like a good moral dilemma. So I guess the dilemma is, you know, do you uh do you say, well, we want to get home? We have families, we have friends, we have careers, whatever. We got to get home. Kira's gonna die if she doesn't get home. So there's 48 people on the defiant. Um, do you say, okay, these 48 people on the defiant get to go home? the 8,000 people who are their descendants down on the planet, they'll never, never exist if they go home.
2: Right.
1: So it's that kind of thing. What I also didn't realize, which is kind of, if you, if you're not a deep space nine fan, it doesn't really matter to you, but, um, this was basically the first episode with, uh, that sort of started the Odo Kira relationship.
0: Yeah. I kind thing, of made her aware, which, yeah,
1: but... which I had completely forgotten about. I'd seen this episode before, but I completely forgotten about it. Um, But yeah, so basically uh, Odo, because he was in love with Kira, (laughs) uh, killed 8,000 people or made it
0: so 8,000 people never existed. So before we give our opinions, Jesse, what do you think about that? What do you think about that moral quandary? Oh, yeah.
1: And so Jesse watched all these episodes with me. We between last night and this morning, we rewatched all of them or she powered right through them. (laughs) Yeah. So for the first time, she watched a few of them. I think you had seen a couple of them before.
3: Yeah. And I mean, even ones that I had seen, my memory is so bad that it's like rewatching or it's like watching it for the first time, really.
1: Yeah. So um, they are, these episodes, at least that we watched, that her and I watched are fresh in our minds. None of them are more than a day old. So.
3: Yeah. Um, and I think Kurt was kind of getting there with the moral quandary it really boils down to uh, what timeline do you save? You know, what do you keep intact? And my thought is, I really don't know. It's, I think one is almost selfish to save, but that's the one that you've been on your whole life. You know, it's, it kind of feels natural to want to save it, even if it is selfish. But at the same time, do the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few kind oh, of thing? Oh, Star
1: Trek. Hmm? That's a
3: Vulcan thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's <laughs> but, you know, it's... a common thing to, with Star Trek. Is... And I was kind of noticing it through a lot of the episodes that we were watching, really.
0: So if you were to pick, did they do that? Well, see, this, they is they wanted to, bit, I... this is a weird situation a little bit because... Technically,
3: well, I mean, I guess they wanted to do the right thing, I think. Yeah, they were all yeah. set to do the right so, thing. And or, well,
1: what they do, th- really what they
3: thought was the right thing. So, right. what do you because think? What, what should
1: have been done? Should they have got to go back on their way to Deep Space Nine, or should they have crashed?
3: Well, I think, had they crashed, that would have been the end of the show.
1: Well, obviously. Obviously. But, but
3: unless they just figured out a way to work. Just from the moral quandary part
1: pretend this wasn't a
0: TV show, pretend this was real. Do you think they made the right decision deciding to crash again? Even though it didn't turn out that way,
3: because
2: Odo
0: was in love.
3: I'm not really sure. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that's that's, that's not the best answer, but I'm really not
1: sure. I think if you're not sure, they did that, it right. They they wrote I think the that episode means they, properly.
0: They picked a good uh a good quandary. Right. They they did. And they kind of I mean, this is getting into the showy aspect. They kind of wrote themselves out of obviously ending the show with the having Odo do that, but I'm gonna take this take, and this isn't one of the ones that was on my list. So, so do but you I remember this episode? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Deep Space Nine, I watched. Most other than the next generation. I've seen the next generation the most, but I've watched Deep Space Nine through four to six times okay. all the way through. Um, so yeah, I definitely remember this episode. I think, and I think I remember when watching it, that they their decision was stupid, and there's several reasons. I mean, why it was stupid. One, it was an accident that caused this, that That's that caused true. this timeline change, and In Starfleet, the timeline thing, you're not supposed to, they have their own temporal cords and stuff. Not that they did it on purpose, but that's a timeline change. And the fact that they knew, they were warned exactly what was going to happen too, that kind of changes the decision because it's not like, well, we don't know why it happened, you know, whatever. They knew why it happened, so having the ability to not have it happen again, that's the right choice, in my opinion, because did uh, the Dominion War started at this point?
1: Um, yes, I think it was just getting going, well, season four. Four, uh, yeah, it had to. Have season five, yeah, so it was just getting going, kind of. Yeah,
0: I mean, they're all important to that.
1: That's why they were in the Gamma Quadrant doing recon. Yeah, kind of they're all just really ramped up.
0: Major keys to the the major space station that's saving, you know, the entire Federation from being overtaken. It would be the selfish thing would be to just crash and chill out there leave everybody else to you know fuck off and whatever happens who cares we'll never see it so i think the fact that they knew what caused it and that they knew how to get out of it that would have been the smarter decision and i think i think if it wasn't a tv show it wouldn't even have been a question you know what i mean yeah. like i think if it was just a real life thing i think they the obvious decision would have been like, no, we got to get back. Like, this is ridiculous.
1: I, I tend to agree. Um, I, I, like the, I like the moral quandary, but at the same time, I feel like, as you pointed out, it was an accident that they crashed. And now that they knew about the accident, they kind of sort of had a duty to, to act and, and prevent it from happening obviously you know in real life this is real life they don't know that they're kind of going to go on to literally save the the galaxy from the right. dominion but um yeah like they knew it was an accident they knew they had a way to fix it you know 8000 people versus 48 people obviously if you're just being strictly utilitarian you got to save the 8000 but we're not strictly utilitarian that's right. not who we are that's not who and that's not who they are on star trek either um the vulcans would have you think otherwise with their uh you know the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few but that's not really what people do um so yeah i i think now odo did the right thing but for a very selfish
0: reason the odo part of it's a total different story. yeah so
1: like he you know he he made them do the right thing you know But because to 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 save or to save his what he thought would be a relationship with Kira, which it was, it did turn out to be, but yeah, so that was probably not the right it was the right thing to do, but for the wrong reason.
0: Right. And that's one of those ones where if you even give this episode, it's a good episode. It's I wouldn't call it a great episode, but it's a good episode. If you even give this episode a thought for a few minutes it's so obviously like a writer that's such a writer move to have Odo, especially since at that point they hadn't even had a relationship. I mean, he just had a, you know, massive nerd crush on her.
1: I actually really liked it though. I, I, I liked it, I liked that that was the reason why they go back because it seems like such a stupid reason. Right. And, and I like that because it's, it's, it was stupid. It was selfish. Um, so I, I kind of like it, you know, because they were, they were ready. They were ready to stay. They were ready yeah. to just go back through the energy field, crash the Defiant, and, and, and stay, you know? Yeah. So that's what,
0: I think that's what, what makes it now these, a good episode. Here's a good question with that, and both of you can you know, watch enough Star Trek to probably get this point. Star Trek, especially these captains, and not so much Cisco, but the other captains really have a boy scoutish or girl scoutish mentality when it comes to, um, you know, like uh, the prime directive um, and like the rules of Starfleet and the, right. the moral, overall moral code. So this one, I mean, they were trying to do the start. Star Trek Boy Scout thing. You right. guys agree with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, they yeah. were trying to. They were like, "Oh, geez, you know, we get, we really got to get back to the station." But there's eight thousand people here that rely on us to crash for them to exist. So yeah, they were definitely doing the
3: what they think should be done. I think Boy Scouty is a yeah. really
1: good way to. Put, it's just a yeah. very like short-sighted but noble
0: mm-hmm. kind of thing. Right. Archer is a lot like that. and Yeah. For Enterprise. I mean, they are. I would say Cisco is honestly the least like that. Normally. Oh, yeah, because of the one episode that we probably have in common we're going to talk we'll about. We'll talk about that. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got everything with that one. Any other comments? So. No. Nope. All right. So I'm going to do... Um, I'm going to do a Star Trek The Next Generation episode, and I'd be shocked if you have this one, because I almost didn't remember this episode. It's not one that I rewatch a ton, but I was on the road on a case, and uh, the BBC replays The Next Generation all the time. So this episode happened to be on, and then I watched it, and I was like... What the fuck? And that, so that kind of—I
1: still do that. I will still, even with with Voyager, with, with all of them, actually, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Next Generation. Um, and I do you remember back in the day when Next Generation was on? I think we actually talked about this in our first podcast about Star Trek, but they used to syndicate it. It was on at like four o'clock in the afternoon yeah. on uh, Fox or something. I swore that I had seen every single episode, and I. St- Still, when I'm flipping through Netflix, I will find one that I've never watched. I don't know
0: how that happens. I believe that I've seen every episode, but there's definitely ones where I watch it again and be like, "Yeah, I only watched this once." Or you know, I don't even. Yeah, maybe I've seen uh, them before, but I don't remember. Them yeah, for sure. And this one was was that, but it had an interesting moral thing. I thought so. It's Star Trek: The Next Generation. The episode title is Suddenly Human, Season 4, Episode 4. So the funny thing, too, um, is by Season 4, that show is really quick. It hit strike, yeah. This episode belongs in Season 1 or Season 2. <laughs> oh, no. You know what I mean? Like, even the quality of it, I, I was really surprised. And when I looked it up, I thought it was going to be, like, Season 2, Episode 15 or something. And then when it said season four, episode four, I was like, what the, f-? maybe that's why I didn't remember it. Cause it just seems so out of place in that season, but here's the, the synopsis of it. The, the writers weren't always on their a-game. <laughs> yes. So um, they rescue an alien sh- shipwreck crew uh, and one of, one of the, and they're all like teenagers and kids. And one of them is human. So it turns out he was captured as a young child by these aliens uh, during a battle where they, where they killed his parents. Uh, you know, it was like his dad was the captain of the ship or something, you know, something. I think It, I it, it has a very
1: uh, like frontier in the 1870s, kind of like, oh, I, your parents are killed in a Native American attack. and You're selling them. Oh, okay. My, <laughs> all right. go, go ahead. Go uh,
0: ahead. So, you know, um, at first Picard is intent on returning the now teenage boy to human relatives. They find, you know, they find that he has relatives on Earth. Uh, so the captain of the alien vessel that comes to transport the survivors of the shipwreck from the Enterprise, he's been raising the boy as his own son. So he demands they return him, or or they or they and other ships are going to attack you know, the enterprise and Picard returns all the other kids, but he doesn't return this kid. You know, he tells that captain he's like, no, he's like, he's, he was captured. He's human. Now this race is, uh, I don't even know if I put it in here. I should have, the the other episodes I did, I kind (laughs) of took Wikipedia, but this one I kind of hand typed out. They're not a race that's like really ever mentioned much again. But they're kind of like uh, humanoid-looking Klingons, like the. They... Well, there's
1: there's a rule on Star Trek, so every, every alien species is just humans with a bunch of weird shit on their foreheads. Right. There was like a, I think there was like a comedian who said that, like yeah. literally, like yeah, they're humans with weird shit on their foreheads. Yeah.
0: But you know, anybody watches the show knows the Klingons are warriors, and that was this kind of racist thing. I mean, remember how in like in Voyager there was that there was uh the, was it the
1: Kazon? There, there, was a, there was a, a race and Voyager that had
0: very similar things. that was Kazon, look a little different. It was I don't know. But, um, but that was their whole thing. And, um, so this kid's been living with this guy as his dad, um, you know, for years. I yeah. don't, you know, seven, eight, nine years. So after, you know, the the episode goes through Picard thinks he's talked the boy into wanting to stay. And the boys hang out with Wesley, you know, and, uh, and um, then all of a sudden the kid shows up in Picard's room and stabs him and uh, thinks he's killed him, but Starfleet's medicine is better obviously than the alien one. So they revive Picard. And so, other ships have come by now, so there's, like, three ships total. But they even make the point of saying that these ships aren't, they're, like, they're not, they are not like, super weak, but they're not really a match for Enterprise, even though it's three of them. Yeah. So the captain of that ship's like, we're going to fight for him. You got 10 minutes to send him, blah, blah, blah. And Riker who's on the bridge at this time, because he's like, our captain was hurt and stuff, and we're not giving him back. He's like, bring it on. You know, Riker's talking shit like he would do. (laughs) And um, so then all of a sudden, Picard comes to the bridge. he's, He's fine now. And he's like, oh, I'm really sorry, kid. We'll send you back. I didn't realize, you know, you've been raised by them. This is taking you out of your culture. You don't know anybody. We're really sorry. You're his true father. And then he sends them back, roll credits. So, okay. So I got my whole spiel on what they should have done, but I think this is the point. that I actually don't remember this episode, so. It's wild. I almost didn't remember this one either. Um. So, uh, so I guess, and Kurt, like I said, he stepped on it a little bit, but this is not a new or original premise. It's very similar to that old John Wayne movie, uh, it's one of the classics, 1959's The Searchers. It's always on, I have seen that either. It's, on AMC's, <laughs> it's always on AMC's top 100 movies yeah. list. Maureen and I watched it when we were trying to go through that list, and it was all right. It was one of those movies where, you know, if it was made in a different era, they could have done it better, but because it was a John Wayne movie, it had some stupid shit and, and yeah, it had yeah, some yeah. cheesy stuff. But you could see what they were trying to do. And that's the movie where Native Americans kill, and it's pretty brutal. They they kill a family and they take the two girls with them. Um, so like the whole movie, John Wayne's their uncle and him and the, the fiance of the, one of the girls, they follow these Indians all across the West trying to get them and stuff. And then by the end, the one girl's already dead. So I think the littler one and the other one, Ends up, you know, she's totally Native American at that point, and she betrays Sean Wayne or whatever. So, like I said, the premise isn't super original, but the way Picard's moral solution to this was, these are the kid's family now. Here you go. Like, we don't want to fight. Just take him back. He wants to be with you. So Jesse, I'll turn it to you. What do you think about that?
2: (sighs) Jesse's considering.
3: I I really (laughs) am.
2: So
1: I I guess, you know, the question is so-
3: So how long had the kid been with these uh, abductors really?
0: Seven to 10 years. And how old was the kid? And how old was the kid? He seemed like fourteen, fifteen.
3: So, so that's all he'd really known. Yeah, re- realistically, he
0: was certainly he was a young boy when certainly started. a part of the
1: culture. Like yeah. that was the culture. He yeah, lives, Yeah. Definitely.
3: Did they establish whether or not? I mean, obviously, they killed his family. Did they establish whether or not he had any other lineage elsewhere?
0: Yes, they contacted Starfleet and some distant relatives were willing to take him. And that's why Picard at first was like, oh, we're going to take him back to his relatives. And the captain of that other ship, not just some officer, the, the head of the, like one of the big guys in their government, or the way they knew the kid.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it, it was, was raising him. Yes, it was son. raising kid. Yeah. yeah.
3: I don't know. I mean, if, I mean if, if there's obviously some lineage that's willing to take on responsibility of the child until he's able to be on his own, then I'd be willing to say go that route, but he's been away from any family and with his abductors so long that that's all he knows as well. So that is his family at this point. So I don't know. I I really, that's, that's another. So as
1: like a 14 year old or something, I mean, he's
3: almost old enough to be on his own anyway. Do you think he's old enough to make the choice
1: (sighs) of who to go with? People who've actually raised him for years and he may or may not remember them killing his parents. Which he probably doesn't remember if he's kind of a, if he's into their culture. Oh, he's in their culture. He really yeah. loves the father. Or you jobs. send him off with people he doesn't he, he literally doesn't does know. Their relatives, yes, but he literally doesn't know them. What's better?
3: I mean put me on the spot. There's plenty of states that allow teenagers to make the decision as to which parent to be with in divorce proceedings. So yeah. I don't see why not. So you're saying send him back. If if that's what he wants. Really? I don't see why
0: not. Fair you want to uh,
1: so as I alluded to earlier, this reminded me of uh, the frontier times in, uh, here in America yeah. and uh, for those international listeners, which there's a few um, aside from all the genocide and everything else that the U S government did <laughs> uh, in settling the West and everything else. Uh, there were a lot of little skirmishes that happened between uh, colonists or settlers, whatever you want to call them, and the, the native populations. And there were a lot of instances of the, the natives uh, coming into encampments and basically slaughtering all the adults, but they take the children. Um, and then there would be cases where, you know, the the cavalry or whoever the military whoever was out there and they they'd raid the native in, encampments and stuff and they would find uh white kids out there you know they, and uh obviously they would reintegrate them back into society and blah 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 but some of these kids were captured literally before they even knew how to speak english or you know like as babies or toddlers they were uh captured by the natives and they were taught their culture and they were brought up in it and that's what they were
2: mm-hmm.
1: um there were even i think there were even a few like leaders and chiefs and stuff right that were white or partially white
0: I'm, yeah I'm yeah like some.
1: i'm looking at nick uh, he doesn't know i don't know either I'm, i don't I'm know looking if him for, sure. as if he should know, <laughs> I don't but, know for sure but yeah so so this episode probably is written with. That American historical context, well, like I said, of mine.
0: researchers is like yeah, everything you said is in the search. Yeah,
1: room. so this is one of those things that, like, when I look at it, I'm like, from a you know 2021 20, perspective, I'm like, send them back, you know, send them back where they came or where they uh, to what they know,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, don't send them to live with relatives that they've never met before.
3: They like, have to relearn everything. Yeah.
1: So, you know, this might be like a semi hostile alien culture or whatever, but one of the ways you sort of make nice with that culture is to be like, all right, these are your kids, you know, like, okay, they captured this kid years ago, but he doesn't know our culture. He knows your culture. You send him back. It doesn't do any good to send him off with, with blood relatives who he's never met before. Um, and, you know, we have, well, we here in America and, and up in Canada have the history of, uh, trying to, and, uh, you know, air quotes don't work on, on a, a podcast, but, but civilizing, uh, people from other cultures, um, and it doesn't work. That's not, I mean, I mean, I guess it works, but it's, it's the kind of thing that really does a lot of damage to people. It's an abuse. Yeah, it's abuse. It's, it's damaging. It's abusive. So I would say send it back if, if, um, If the alien culture was all he knew, if the captain of the ship was uh, raising him as his son, send him back to him. That's his family. That's what he knows. That's who he's comfortable with. Send him
0: back. All right. So once again, we disagree. (laughs) Uh, All right. It's kind of a a good thing. So I'll go into my whole spiel on this. So... You know, like I said, I watched this episode recently. It's not a good episode. It doesn't belong in this season. It it's really baffling. Um, you know, I talked about the premise. So um, so first of all, you're telling me in the in Starfleet in that century, in that year, 23, 20, it would have been to the 2360s or 70s. 60s, yeah, 70s, 60s, 70s. They don't have a procedure for this scenario. The they, they with all the battles and wars they fought over the years um, there wasn't some specific way to handle this but especially dealing with all the different races that I'm sure have done this before where they took kids or prisoners and stuff so that bothered me because the whole episode they're acting like this is a new thing they're yeah. trying to figure out and, you know
1: put and with their like exploration they would have been on the frontier the whole time so this, Maybe not a regular phenomenon, but a common.
0: Yeah, phenomenon. and we know, I mean, again, Kurt and I specifically definitely know all the history of Starfleet, by this time, battles. It's, you know, the Cardassian War, the first one, the yeah. all, just, you know, Klingon War. The one Strasbourg. that O'Brien's uh, yeah all messed up. Yeah, so all those things. Um, so, okay, so also, this was another thing. With the medical tech and the fact that the ship has a betaoid counselor, it was barely used in this episode for some reason. Why is Troy not doing the heavy lifting on this episode to rehabilitate this team? I know they wanted to make it a Picard episode and it's TV and blah blah blah, but you know she can read people's emotions and
1: yeah, there's a, there's a fine line between uh, character development and bad writing.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, in this other point I made is for the threat with the alien ships. They even make it a point to be like, we could fucking kill these ships if we had to, or disable them. It's not an issue. So, the kid should have been returned to Earth, and they should have figured it out. That's my opinion on that. They should have medical counseling i'm sure that by that time they had ways to go inside your head not like train, brainwash you or whatever change you but ways to like really sit down and talk it out and you know get you through the trauma of your parents and that's a big point in this too these aren't this guy didn't take the kid in a divorce not to shit on your thing no. that, but they killed his parents and kidnapped him yeah like when you come down to it like that and Again, this is a, during a skirmish. This isn't some formal war. This alien race isn't even big enough to have a war. It's worth. like a
3: raid or whatever.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Deep Space Nine also has a similar episode, and I was thinking about this entitled Cardassians. That's the name of the episode, and it's where a young Cardassian boy comes to the station, and then he attacks Garrick. The boy hates Cardassians, and he's been raised by a Bajoran family. Do you remember that one? No. no. Um, So, long story short... (laughs) I've probably seen it, but I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Long story short, because this wasn't the episode I picked, but it turns out it's a plot by Gal Ducat to embarrass a political enemy who is the boy's real father. Fucking Gal Ducat. Yeah. So, Cisco, because he's the Cardassian emissary and uh Bajoran emissary. Yeah, Bajoran emissary and the Cardassians at least respect him. They let him be the judge in this thing and he gives custody to the boy's real father, a a Cardassian. Now, there is a little difference. The adoptive parents, they kind of say that he was a little bit abused with the... on Bajor. So that's different. It's not like he's... Clamoring to get to like a happy home, right? Yeah. Um, but and the adoptive parents don't really seem to, other than they don't seem to really fight it. Um, but it's a similar story, you know. It's it's the whole thing that he really was raised by the enemy after all of the skirmish. But they did it the exact opposite way. Cisco's like, no, send him home. So I thought that was kind of interesting too. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, weird episode, definitely not the biggest moral quandary, but I did like that it definitely is a parallel to a history with the Native American thing. And like I said, The Searchers is a classic. Which if you watch Star Trek,
1: like even back from the original series, uh, so much of it, and, 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 and at times it's even like poorly done and beating you over the head. Right. it's it's an allegory for what's what's going on or what has happened in the real world um you know like especially a lot of the original series stuff you can look if you like the uh yeah. the episode with the people with uh one of the races uh the left side of their face was black and the right side was white and the other one the right side was black and the left side was white and it was an allegory for how silly racism is basically right. you know um so And that's the other, you know, so for, for, I see this in my Facebook groups all the time. You get these people, when did Star Trek become so woke? When did they start talking about social justice topics? Uh, and the answer to that
0: is since um, the first episode. Yes,
1: the answer to that is 1966. <laughs> so anybody asking that who is serious has, has never, has been never watched Star Trek
0: before. No. I, you want to know, see that, see that funny shit all the time? If you follow Will Wheaton, yeah, on, on Facebook, they go after him a lot. They say shit like that in his <laughs> post. and he's always like, he's like, he always puts them in their place. Like, yeah, oh,
1: fucking kidding me. And and Will Wheaton is it, Will Wheaton is probably a lot more woke than I am, but but no, he's right. I, uh, you know, yeah. uh, Star Trek has always been extremely woke, and that uh, even when I was watching it as a teenager, some of the Voyager episodes, some of the other stuff, like it, it's almost like. It's almost bad writing with how, how they just beat you over the head right. with it, uh, with the morality and the wokeness and whatever. So, you know, that's a part of Star Trek. And if you have right. a problem with that, you don't actually like Star Trek. I will be as bold as to say that. Definitely. Um, you yeah. like you like
0: flying ships and shooting yeah. and bang, yeah. bang. But, but, you know, yeah. So, yeah. All right. So I think we've hit that episode good. And that's one Kirk's going to watch now because he doesn't. I'll know. have to, yes. Yep. Um, so, what is your next episode?
1: Uh, I think we'll dive into Tuvix. Oh, yeah.
0: uh, because Tuvix
1: is the meme episode <laughs> that uh, every Facebook group I'm involved in that's Star Trek related. Uh, loves to uh, make memes about and talk about. Uh, so the Tuvix episode is titled Tuvix. It's from Voyager, season two, episode 24, uh, from May 6th, 1996. Um, this was actually an episode I hadn't seen until, I mean, it's not recently, but like 10, 12 years ago, whatever. So when Voyager originally aired, it was—you know it was broadcast television. It was on UPN. And I didn't have UPN on the antenna until season three, I think. So um, yeah, I didn't originally watch this back in the day. Like this wasn't one of the like nostalgia episodes that like, I remember watching. I watched it 10 or 12 years ago. Anyway, uh, the long, long story short is, uh, Tuvok and Neelux are, are on an away mission to collect this orchid down on this planet. Um, the thought is this, this plant, this orchid, this flower, whatever, uh, can be used to synthesize food, right? I think it was a food thing.
2: Um,
1: And they were going to collect some, study it, blah, blah, blah. Well, when they transport back up to the ship, there's a transporter malfunction that joins Tuvok, Neelix, and the flower all into one person. Um, So, this person, it's not like a multiple personalities kind of thing. This person is, is literally a new person uh, who, who thinks for themselves, who is a person fully realized. Um, they give themselves the name uh, Tuvok. Uh, the original name they were thinking was, they, they thought Nevok. I think it was, it was Nevok, right? Mm-hmm. They thought Nevok, and then they settled on Tuvix. Um, So it turns out he's like this 50-50 mix. So I will say 50-50 mix because after the initial part about the flower being included, they never addressed it again. (laughs) And even when they, at the end of the episode, when they separate them back out, uh, they even have a space in between them on the bio bed (laughs) and there's no flower there. That's a big thing that people point out. Regardless He's basically a 50 50 mix of Tuvok and Neelix. Yeah. Um, and so, so, being the uh, a mix between the extremely gregarious and sociable uh, uh, ne- uh, Neelix um, and the very logical and, and competent Tuvok, um, Tuvix is actually this, like, like the most competent uh sociable trusted great crew member they could have ever imagined um he's a great cook he's a great listener he's a great you know a confidant to the captain all of this stuff but and this is the big but in the episode he's not Tuvok and he's not Neelix right um Tunix even goes to Cass and, and says hey you know, you were in love with Neelix, so you're halfway in love with me. Go talk to the captain and convince her, and this is after they realize they can't separate them, blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, convince the captain that you can't separate us, that I have to continue living. I have to continue being me. So Kess goes to the captain, and she breaks down, and she says, I can't do it. I want Neelix back. He's not Neelix. He is some new, different person. Right. Um, so at the very end of it, uh, after they figured out how to do it and everything, uh, they bring Tuvix to sickbay. Uh, the doctor refuses to do the separation, uh, to restore the, uh, to restore Tuvok and Neelix to their separate persons.
0: Do no harm.
1: Because of the Hippocratic oath, all that stuff, which is fine. Uh, that's totally, you know, I, I, I get that. Um, so, Janeway just does it. She tells him to sit down. She injects him with the radioisotope or whatever the thing is that's supposed to tag. It tags one set of DNA, but not the other. Again, they're ignoring that the flower was included there. <laughs> um, but that's whatever. That's just bad yeah, writing. Um, so, she does it. Janeway does it. And they're separated. And uh, Tubix is dead. <laughs> he no longer exists. And uh, we get back uh, Tuvok and Neelix. Um, my thoughts on this. Can I make one point?
0: Go for first? it. So I think you kind of overshadowed or skated over this point a little bit. The Tuvix character really does not want to die. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yep. So I I briefly mentioned it with like he tried to he told Cass to go yeah but
0: but he flips out yeah he he makes a big scene he's and um again a a little side point the actor that played him he said the way that they did it he did a great job he did great he was great he said that the cast really kind of treated him like
2: like
1: he was
0: an outsider was an outsider and stuff and he got to the point he got so into it he was like. They should keep this character. This is bullshit. Like, he was really. I've actually heard that. Yeah. Yeah. He he said he was really fighting the decision. So it comes off as real, real, like, you know, he's panicked and, like, you know, so. So I I will say, as far as keeping the character, this
1: is one of the issues I have with the episode. We know from the Thomas Riker episode of Next Generation that you can duplicate somebody with the transporter. So. The question, of course, uh, arises: Why couldn't they separate them and uh, keep him? And keep them at the same time? Yeah. They didn't even address that. They didn't. They didn't bring it up. You know, nothing. They didn't. Go, oh, well, you know, remember the Thomas Riker incident from ten years ago or eight years or whatever it was? Why can't we? Uh, why can't we keep a copy of Tubics in the transporter buffer? while we separate them and then bring him through as well i didn't even think about my stupid question
3: um just because go for it yeah you know stupid um where does this fall in the timeline from that from the thomas Riker thing yeah it's like
1: it's actually not even a year it's like it's like three or four years later
3: probably so it would have actually this is this is later
1: this is season two voyager didn't start until after next generation ended um So I I don't remember. So they would have
3: actually had knowledge of that occurring. It was before they
1: ended up in the Delta Quadrant. So they would have, they would have known about the Thomas Riker. Okay. Absolutely. So that was a bit of bad writing. Obviously, you know, it's TV show. They didn't want to bring a new character on, blah, blah, blah. It's fine. But, but yeah, that, so that's one of the, that's one of the, like, I don't even know what you call it, a practical, uh, consideration right. right to bring into it like as far i don't know well interesting yeah i didn't even think yeah this record thing yeah like they they could have just copied two Vicks and and separated them at the same time but that's not what the episode is <laughs> about the yeah. episode the dilemma is if you create one person out of two with a transporter so say transporters were a thing in real life right. uh if you create two people out, or one person out of two uh accidentally and you want to get those two people back is it okay to kill that one person to get those two people back?
0: Fair. Yeah I I think that's the yeah. So Jesse what do you think? Do you agree with what Janeway did taking everything into consideration um, you know the doctor's objection and the Tuvix themselves but knowing the whole situation that they wanted their crewmen back what are your thoughts I mean it's definitely a good moral this is like creme de la creme for sure oh yeah
1: and it's funny because it's mocked in all the memes and stuff but, but part of what makes this so so good so juicy you know the <laughs> chef's kiss yeah. is that that Tuvix was uh, eminently competent at everything right. he was he was a better tactical officer he was a better cook everything. Like he was, he was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, He was friendlier. He was more, everything like, but he wasn't either of those two people and he only existed because of an accident. Right. Yeah. So what do you think?
3: So I don't have many notes on this one, but, um, what I was thinking at the time was that they, they definitely made it very apparent that, they were pushing to make Tuvok's his own person, except like they, but they made sure to definitely bring elements of both Tuvok and Neelix through in him, even though they were still pushing that he was his own person.
2: Right.
3: So. Uh, for me, like, I had a note going, is it really murder? Because in my mind, I was really comparing it to, um, like, a conjoined twin scenario, and, you know, I'm... Um, I think the thing to consider, though, is that it
1: wasn't that. They were well, explicit I, with that. They even asked him, like... I well, understand are, that. Are, are you thinking as Neelix and Tuvok, right. or are you thinking...
3: As one as individual. As one individual. And he right. said
1: as one individual.
3: Right. So. But that he like he could hear both, but it, it was just one. It wasn't even that
1: though. No, like he was, he had their memories, and but he hope. was a distinct new person.
3: Right. One
1: uh one mind.
3: Right. But um so it,
1: it wasn't even like two two minds together, it was one mind with the memories of the other two. He wasn't either one of them.
3: But, yeah, I was still kind of, like, in the almost conjoined twins thought where, like, is it medically necessary to do this to him? And if it's not, then why are we doing it? Like, I get that Tuvok and Neelix kind of don't exist, but they do because he's got their memories. And so it's not like they're completely dead either because they still exist within him even though he's his own person so I was I don't know I was on the fence with that one I kind of didn't agree with it because it didn't seem absolutely necessary
0: that's a good point the the medical necessity of it technically he's fine he's alive and so. he was
3: very helpful in well, all regards on board and
0: and to
1: that point they even made a, a they made a point at the be- near the beginning of the episode right after they like he gets joined to talk about how healthy he was like mm-hmm. he's really healthy like considering this happened he's in perfect health right? mm-hmm. yeah so so they did cover all their bases to to
0: for the moral quandary yeah. actually they, they covered all, all their bases this is a, well, say, like, this is a well-written
3: episode compared yeah. to
0: some of these other ones that we've talked about where there's some plot point holes and uh i mean this has it too maybe but this is just a well-written episode
3: i was honestly at the end i was surprised at how little it affected jane white looked like she kind of walked away like uh, whatever when I she was done on that yeah so
1: yeah that was the thing that
3: of all of the ones we've watched where there were some moral issues and captains were really struck with what had happened this one she just walked away she and almost, like it, it hits her for a second and then she goes eh, whatever uh, kind of thing I don't know if it hit her for a second she acted like like yep i did what i had to do like
1: she liked tubics but then when he had his little freak out on the bridge she couldn't get rid of him fast enough yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, she she was almost angry mm-hmm. and wanted him to die.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong.
0: <laughs> Definitely. <coughs> Sorry, let me re <laughs> It's been a bit since I watched this one, but, yeah, she does not like him disagreeing with her.
3: I don't think she likes anyone disagreeing with her, uh, really.
0: <laughs> true, but especially, you know, this,
3: this accident or whatever.
0: So... This is my little spiel on it. The episode really turned into a moral case study. After watching this, I can honestly see both sides, but I do land with it being the right choice being made. I like that the Doctor takes the hard line, mm-hmm. moral medical opinion on it. He's right. I mean, there was no good reason to do it from a medical perspective. <laughs> yeah, he's a hologram and a Doctor, so it makes sense. You know, he he's got a.
3: There's no reason to be wishy-washy with it. Yeah,
0: he's, he's doing what he should do. Um, I think it would have been interesting if they could have tried harder to find a way to return. So this is kind of like you said, but I didn't think of the Thomas Riker thing. If they could have found a way to return the two characters but keep the two Vicks, you know, alive. I mean, there's some sort of cloning tech in those days, too. You know, and um, I don't know, I guess I know you're not allowed to do genetic engine. It's a whole big, that's a whole other Star Trek argument. Is, yeah. uh, the genetics wars or whatever they're called. Uh, yeah, the, the eugenics, eugenics wars and, and all that stuff. It just seems like there could have been, especially since the doctor had such a moral problem with it, but he created the way to separate them. So you would have thought he could have spent some time because there was no, like, if we don't separate them by today, they'll never be able to come back. They never yep. made that point. No. Nope. Yep. So it felt like they could have spent more time. It was time literally,
1: the, the whole separating thing was literally just about tagging the DNA separate from each other. And, and yeah.
0: It feels like they could have spent some more time, like, trying to figure it out. Um, you know, uh, You know, like, if someone is forced to become a different person, it wouldn't be considered morally wrong to help them become the person they they were before like yeah that's therapy that's psychology you know is getting people you know through something to not normal subjective obviously but not normal but back to like how they were how before they were whatever. yeah, yeah. And this is, you know, in a way, this is a trauma, even though two two Vix is happy, you know. But it's all a trauma for those around them and for the actual two that are gone. Two Vix or two Lock and Neelix. Um, I mean, I know people grow and they change, but the the aspect of the the forcing is the main point. Right. Know? Yep. Um. Yeah, so that's pretty much all I had on it. I thought that, you know, like you said, the, the way it kind of turned out, they really, they really and good writing, they really make it hard to he is a better person combined
1: than the two of them
3: are add, separated added
1: together.
0: you
3: know, mm-hmm. no, like
0: and even his emotional he's greater mode, than the sum of the parts and his emotional plea. They make it really hard to, like, yeah. agree with Janeway, which is interesting, because he would, usually they kind of baby the captain, and, you yeah. oh, the captain was right. This is why the Boy Scout-Girl Scout move. She definitely didn't play the Boy Scout-Girl Scout move with this scenario. She's just like, I'm friends with Tulak. You know, let's get him back. Fuck this guy. Yeah. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh that's how it went. So this is why this is one of those episodes that's very controversial. Kurt, like Kurt said, it's memed a lot. People call Jamie a murder. <laughs> um, but here's another point worth thinking about. They're, the whole point of the show is they're marooned in another part of the galaxy with no Starfleet backup. And they have to do things to figure out how to get back you know yeah there's certain rules they have to make up on their own as they go right like
1: you can't when when you're by yourself and you don't have the support of starfleet you don't have like you don't know, you can't just call up starfleet medical and say hey what can you guys do about this right like you've got to make up your own rules as you go
0: now the, the funny thing is though because i'm actually rewatching watching voyager right now and i'm like in the third season i think in the real first three seasons Jane fights with the Maquis characters all the time. Yep. Would like we're doing it Starfleet's way. Follow the Prime Directive. We're not doing this shit. We're not being outlaws. We're not doing stuff. We're not taking shortcuts. So uh, she breaking her own rules there. You know, maybe. I mean, maybe that's the one big plot hole of this episode is they don't. I don't think they do a good job of showing what Wayne's actual reasoning is yeah yeah i agree yeah because because she is very
1: cold when she does it like Mm -hmm. she just she has to do it Yeah. yeah so
0: all right so moving on my next one and this might be one that you have too um i thought you would have it deep space nine in the pale moonlight okay season six episode 19 I was actually hoping we'd save this one for, this is my favorite. Oh, you want to do this last? We can. We could. This That's one's not, my
2: favorite. It's not a
1: big I
0: mean,
1: yeah. I think this is the best one ever on Star
0: Trek. It's my favorite piece face now. So yeah, we can do that one last. Okay, so we'll go with over here. I don't have my pages numbered, which is kind of stupid on my part. Um okay, so this is one we might have in common too. Star Trek Enterprise. Similar to oh, it's different than my Enterprise season three episode okay. ten. Maybe that's this the one is you're this
3: of. is the one I think I was thinking of.
0: Wow, so I'm surprised. There you go. This is uh, this is a pretty famous moral quandary episode too. Um, okay, I don't
3: remember it well though because I we didn't watch it. I'll give you so. a big rundown. Okay,
0: with it. So, Commander Tucker, while endeavoring to increase stable. Uh, the stable warp speed of Enterprise to warp five becomes comatose when the engines destabilize and explode. Dr. Flox suggests a radical and controversial procedure to save them, growing a mimetic symbiote, a clone, as a neurological donor. Uh, Archer is concerned with the overreaching goal, Archer is more concerned with the overreaching goal of their mission. Um, to, to save Earth from, you know, at this point, they're, you know, Florida's been attacked or whatever. You have to watch the series, but he's more Tucker's his best friend and he wants, and he's the best engineer in Starfleet. So Archer's more concerned with the goal of giving the mission, getting the mission accomplished, so he says, do it. The symbiote with a natural lifespan of two weeks is then injected with Tucker's blood and is soon born. Fox names him Sim, so he develops rapidly, um, but he has Tucker's memories, his personality. Um, you know, he grows from being a kid to a teenager. Um, he he becomes interested in engineering. He romantically is attracted to Sub Commander T'Pol, just like the like his you know clone counterpart. So. The window approaches when Flux must perform the transplant, which turns out will unfortunately be fatal to to trick Sim, having now met himself in sickbay, reveals knowledge of an uh, experimental procedure that might allow for a significant extension of his lifespan for more than two weeks. Archer learns that Flux uh, was aware of this procedure, but concealed his knowledge of it. Due to its highly experimental and poorly researched nature. Sim then expresses a desire to live, you know, Tucker's own life notwithstanding. So, th- through the rest of his natural life, you know, he wants to live it out. Um, you know, later, a tired looking archer, angered at finding Sim and in, in Tucker's quarters. States he would rather Sim voluntarily submit to the fatal procedure than be forced to do so. Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Sim Sin planned to escape, but then he resigns himself to the fact that he has to do it after after thinking about his the death of his sister, which is not really his sister, but the death of you know in his memories, his sister. Oh, so this is after the Zindi yeah. thing. Okay. Due to the Zindi attack on Earth. He realizes his his and the crew's options are limited uh, before leaving for sickbay DePaul arrives and gives him a kiss sim sim thanks flocks for being a good father to him uh with the medical procedure successful archer honors his sacrifice in the presence of part of the crew uh including trip that episode begins and ends with a funeral um, and burial sin in space in the beginning you think trip died and they're buried in heaven but it's actually the clone so that's that's the episode the moral quandary they clone somebody for parts and then uh kill them so to me this one i think
1: is a little more straightforward i think that if you're going to clone people for transplanted parts or transplant parts, uh, you got to clone them without a brain. If you're going to clone a body, clone it without a brain. Uh, you know, that's where your consciousness is, blah, blah, blah. You know, like just cloning a person that's like shitty and irresponsible. <laughs> well, that's basically my, right. <laughs> like,
0: I don't know. That's I, basically I, my I, take Well, it. yeah,
3: Yeah. I'd, I'd agree. As well, I mean, d- clone the parts you need, not the entire person. Yeah. You know.
0: Honestly, the whole experiment should not have taken place. Yeah,
3: seriously.
0: It, it was clone organ harvesting with a live clone. Yeah. I mean, with a live
3: conscious. Well, exactly. You know, sentient clone. And it's funny people talk about
0: going back to the Tuvix episode. This is way more. Early. Oh, and this is the life?
3: episode that I was thinking yeah, of. My and
0: And. Um, I get that they're all upset Florida was destroyed and, and uh, you know, this war and stuff, but this one, like you said, seems to have, you know, they raise the clone from a boy or a full-grown man even though it's rapidly within days. Yeah. Then it gets wild when he doesn't want to die and almost tries to escape. But they, the even if it's not even just growing Park's why would you ever let him wake up? Yeah. Why couldn't you just have him be in a pod, grow him, sedated, the whole grow, time? Right. sedated the yep. whole time, we never yep. give him a name, whatever? That's still a little questionable. But it's a lot better than this. It's this a is lot... wildly irresponsible.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Wildly unethical. Like this is. I I don't remember. I don't know why I don't
3: because I think this is when I was
0: still able It's to like watch one it.
3: of the only episodes <laughs> I do remember. This is bad.
0: Yeah, you know the two the weeks situation the two characters didn't have a choice well it was an
1: accident mm-hmm. like it was, an it, accident. it was it was a situation they were like forced into right this one they they chose this this scenario
0: now the uh you know playing devil's advocate the, the thought is you can't lose trip he's the best engineer well, sure. fleet sure we were good friends with him too but he's he's the only guy that can help to beat. V- defeat the zindi no
1: I, I i get their their eventual decision like from a practical standpoint but their their whole work up to it just to zindi. me doesn't make sense wildly insane
0: yeah now this is an earlier track for people that don't know this is even pre um you know even pre-original series in in the technology not the show the show was well after yeah, but yeah Yep. But in the timeline... It's about 100 years before... 100 years before... Uh, uh, even, original series. Original series. Before um, Captain uh, Kirk. Um, yeah, this is, this is the 2150s Yeah, for those who are keeping track. But still, if they can figure out cloning... Which we can almost figure out nowadays, even though it's mostly animals. Oh, no, we can we can clone, we clone can a call human
1: it. now. It's just considered so unethical. Nobody's allowed to do it. Right. No, cloning is not a. It's not.
0: Yeah, that's not, not. Yeah. It's
1: not wild to think of that timeline that they could. I'll put it this way there are probably cloned people out there right now. <laughs> um, there's actually a doctor in China, I think it is, who said that he has cloned people. Oh. Uh-huh. So there, there are definitely, well, there are likely. Some people alive right now who are clones.
0: It's yeah. likely. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. So it's just the whole thing. I rereading this episode and looking at it, I'm like, this episode is fucking wild. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Just uh I can't believe, yeah. I was I remember this one. I I I was explaining
3: that. it to him sort just of from what, what I could remember, and he too. couldn't remember.
0: It's um <laughs> it's just again when people say two X is the most re re reading this and re looking at this episode. This is the wildest situation in my opinion. Yeah. Because um it just like it literally could have been avoided. It wouldn't and, be ethical
1: now, so I don't know why it would
0: be ethical. Like
1: yeah. with their future, like more ethical, more moral morals.
0: And really Captain Archer, if you watch the series. Is the biggest fucking Boy Scout of any cat, I think. He's the biggest uh, teetotaler. We're we're gonna get to that with my <laughs>
3: enterprise. Yeah.
0: So so this decision, and he kind of does the Janeway thing, where he's pissed off at this clone for like thinking this trip. You know how like she gets pissed off at the two Ricks. For, oh yeah, like, like
1: she, she is him. cold when she he goes gets, to do
0: the thing. She's he, cold. He gets like that too. He's like fuck this clone. This isn't, this isn't a trip. He doesn't say that. I just doesn't swear. You're not that. a real
1: person. Yeah, but
0: it's more like he's really like, get out of his quarters. Like, what are you doing? You're just, okay, if you don't want to know him and if you don't want him to be a real thing. Why did you, you make him conscious? Why did you make him conscious? Put him <laughs> in a test tube. He never leaves sick bay. He never talks to anybody. He doesn't even wake up. He doesn't realize he's, uh, or like Jesse said, if you can just clone the part you need, do that. If you can't, if you gotta do this whole weird you know, whole thing to grow them.
3: Uh, they the, they at this point, say. like right now, we can grow parts that we need yeah, as far true. as like, like, we can 3D right. replicate or print. Yeah, the, So uh,
1: there's there's uh, you can take like uh, they call it like scaffolds. So like you somehow take, you can take like a heart, for example, and it gets... Stripped down to like, I don't even know what it is like a scaffold of a heart, right. and they can actually graft your tissue back onto it. I don't know if this is actually in anyone yet, but the technology is it's getting there. It's it's there enough that they know it's something doable. It's an engineering
0: problem, at this point. right? Right, and they do kind of, if we're being fair, they do kind of go out of their way in the episode to say like kind of say, like, you got to do it a certain way to grow. Yeah. But they don't say he's got to be awake and he's got to, like... Right. Keep,
1: That's the thing. Uh, like, like the, the conceit of, of, like, why they need to make the clone is not the same conceit of why he has to be conscious. Yeah. yeah like, it doesn't follow.
0: Yeah. Because no. it's not like they're transferring his consciousness back. Right. They're repairing, like, whatever thing inside of him was fucked up. So... Yeah, I think we're all pretty much in agreement on this one. Um, They just fucked up. They they just did the wrong thing. They really did. did. They should have just done it differently. Then they even made the worst decision. Like, okay, ask him to do that. If the clone's like, no, I want to do this, you know, fuck, we shouldn't have done that. Why? Why ask him in the first place? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it shouldn't have got to that point. So, all right, what is your next one? Um, I think the next one we're gonna do, since you did Enterprise, I'll
1: do Enterprise, dear Doctor. This one I almost did, so I did review this, so I do, I won't know what to talk about it. So, so Dear Doctor is an episode, it's called Dear Doctor because the sort of side plot line, I guess, is that Dr. Flox is, um, he's pen paling, like narrating uh, to his counterpart doctor, did you write the the name down? I don't remember the name.
3: It's Dr., was it, uh. Oh, not
1: Lewis Lucas, Lucas, Dr. Lucas. So Dr. Lucas is a colleague that helped Dr. Flocks when he was, uh, doing like a residency on earth. So Dr. Lucas is now, uh, on Denobli, on Denobula, Denobula. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so Dr. Flocks is in co- in correspondence with him, helping him out with all of the minutia of and Denobulan culture and all that stuff. Um, so they're like pen pals and, you know, they're talking back and forth and the, the side plot of the episode is Dr. Fox narrating letters to him basically. Um, so the enterprise encounters a, a derelict ship, well, maybe derelict is the right word, but a, a drifting ship, uh, that has a couple of sick astronauts on it. Uh, they're from a planet, um, uh, and their species is the Valachians and they are dying of, like, this genetic disease. Um, they don't know it's a genetic disease right away, but Dr. Plox figures that out. Um, so they get down on the planet, they're taking a look, you know, seeing if they can help these guys out. Um, they find out that they've already encountered other warp-capable species. So T'Pol is like, yeah, you know, we can, we can do whatever we want. We can talk with them, whatever. It's not going to really contaminate their culture because they've already talked to the Ferengi and this other species called the Leclexa, which is yeah, incidental. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, they get down on the planet and they realize there's another humanoid species on the planet uh, called the Mink. And the mink are similar to the Wallachians, but they're not as advanced. Uh, advanced in their technology and everything, but they're not getting the, the, the disease at all. Um, Dr. Flox comes to find out that the Valachians even though they're the dominant species on the planet, are uh, suffering from like a genetic disorder uh, that's basically unraveling their, their DNA. Um, it'd be sort of like if uh, here on earth uh, Neanderthals still existed among humans and, you know, we were the more advanced species, but we had like some weird genetic problem and like a third of us were just dying because our DNA was unraveling, but the Neanderthals were totally fine. Um, They even make a similar parallel in the episode. Um, So you know, they have the normal, like, well, you know, we're here, we're more advanced than them. How, how much help really should we give them? And this is actually the episode that it addresses the idea of a prime directive and, uh, Captain Archer even, even calls it a directive. He says, you know, our people need to come up with a set of standards for how we deal with more primitive cultures and he uses the word, word directive right while he's this That's is kind it. of the creation of it because it's it's one of the yeah it's one yeah. of the things that that forms the it's like an impetus for like needing a crime directive essentially. Right. Um so Dr. Flox comes to the realization that the mink are basically that they should inherit the planet right. from the Velocans. Um, he's come up with medicine to, uh, he's talking to Captain Archer and he's, he says, you know, I, I have this medicine, I can help them, you know, put off the worst things of the disease for a decade or two or whatever. Um, but you know, this is really indicative of like a species just dying because it's hit. I think he uses the term an evolutionary dead end. Um, so Archer is like, well, no, we're here. We, we said we'd help. We need to help. You can't just withhold stuff from them. And Dr. Flox is all like, all right. Just to be totally honest with you, I have the cure now. I I figured it out. I know how to fix it. And Archer's like, okay. Uh, they have like this whole back and forth, blah, blah, blah. And then Archer finally realized, he says, and this is where he talks about the prime director. He's like, look, we're not, you know, we need to come up with like this some guidelines and stuff, but we aren't here to play God. Um, and so he basically agrees with Fox and says, you know what? Even though you have the cure for this, they're on their own you know, thing on the planet. They're not work capable. They're not ready to join us anyway. So we can't give them work drive to hit the stars and try to find someone who will help them. So... We'll give them this other medicine that will put off the symptoms, and we're going to leave it be. Um, and I think that was sort of like the, the twist—is the right word? But where where Phlox is like, right? I have it, I have the cure.
0: Yeah, and it's the compromise. They decided to go with the compromise, which
1: Just... I I I'm going to say I don't agree with. Yeah, you know, because they came there, they said they would help. The people are, they are pre-warp, but they're aware, aware. they have been, in quotes, contaminated by other warp-capable species. Uh, Any damage that could have been done uh, by realizing they're not alone in the universe and blah, 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 it's been done already. The Enterprise showing up, saying they would help, and then withholding the treatment,
0: yeah, unconscionable. To and me. and you made a good point in your summary. It's not like they have a hard, true prime director yet. Because yeah, again, and
1: they're not even violating any of their own. They're not violating any rules yet.
0: Yeah, he's just kind of making it up. Then
3: it's not. He, a he doesn't want to
0: play God, and he uses those words. He doesn't. They, they don't want to play God out there. And somebody said something. I I was reading stuff about this. There's a whole thing how it would affect the Mank, the other species, and and stuff, and how they should, but they were already coexistent. Well, so they made well, it very clear that the a, Mank were
1: happy with how things were. They were yeah. a simpler people. They probably, you know, and this is. Well, and
3: the Mank had said that the Valachians were helping them. They were providing food right. and clothing and support well, where so, needed. Because, so that's the thing.
1: It's like they were a simpler people, maybe not. And, and you know, this is, it's from the show, it's, it's in absolute terms, whatever, they weren't as intelligent, they weren't as advanced, however you want to take that, that's how the episode presents it, you know, right. so they, they were being taken care of, they weren't being oppressed in any way that you would think of, they seemed to be happy with how things were, uh, when they went to the main camp, nobody was starving, nobody was like, dirty and dying and everything else they were literally they even said they give us whatever we need yeah they're not oppressed they're not oppressed they are treating them as less but maybe because they literally uh from an empirical perspective are less as far as yeah. they're they're not going to be making you know they're not going to be building hospitals and developing technology yet and that's the whole point of the episode is that they're they they're, they're the Neanderthals to Earth's humans so they're they're pretty close they're very very close but they're if they were to uh evolve or come up right alongside to modern times it would be different
3: well, and to me they really seem to be treated like a working class versus uh, i guess the rich class or whatever you know it's but really I, just a class system
1: but i think it's important to point out though it was more than that. It it really was the division was because the Mank literally weren't capable. But of yes. what the Velocians were capable of. Right. Yes, and it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a racist thing. It wasn't a classist thing. It was literally they because are because they can't species. do it. They said they're physi- uh, physiologically in- incompatible. Um, they are a different species of humanoid, mm-hmm. and to their credit, actually, I think on Earth. Well, on Earth, this did happen. We either we probably killed the the Neanderthals thirty-ish thousand years ago.
3: Well, that's why some of us still have Neanderthal DNA. Yeah, I have like two percent Neanderthal DNA. Isn't the Earth only six thousand years old?
1: (laughs) (laughs) But you know, like like this episode is actually like it points out like you know these guys actually did a better job of managing two. Uh, pretty close humanoid species yes. uh,
0: than Earth did. Mm-hmm. There was other ways they could have written this, where it would have been actually even a tougher decision that to make. Like you said, if like if this one species, because they were continuing to exist, was keeping this other species down or right. making them slaves or doing right. all sorts of like whatever, taking really all their yeah supplies or now
1: they did say oh well they yeah. don't let us live where the ground is fertile but they kind of implied that the mink were too dumb to
3: to do anything about you it you know i all. use
1: dumb like like right. they didn't they weren't they weren't smart enough whatever however you want to put that they, right. they just couldn't handle it oh um, chewy's
3: here yeah
1: <laughs> just for you listening uh we just had a big thump on our porch it's our <laughs> chewy delivery um, but yeah, so in this episode, I don't want to drag it out too long, but I I just feel like they did they made the wrong decision because they they promised to help, they found the cure, and then they withheld it at the end and lied about it. Yeah. And and the people that they withheld it from actually weren't uh they weren't really oppressing the other species. They were actually yeah. treating them pretty well for a species that wasn't capable of what they were capable And this was like my
0: sixth choice. If I was doing one more, it was going to be this episode. I looked at it actually. And um, it is interesting. I would agree that, the, I mean, they decided, and I think maybe this sounds like a last minute writing decision. We are like, well, we can't just deny them the thing. We'll come up with a compromise where it makes them comfortable for 20 years or something. But the fact that he had the cure
1: that's what I, like i don't even
0: mm-hmm. think the compromise is good enough
3: no it no. really isn't it,
0: it, it's a bad it's a bad decision by, you know i get the not playing god thing and that's where they do come up with they shouldn't
1: agree to help in the first but they mm-hmm. should, just shouldn't right. have gotten
0: involved yeah. yeah and um but again that's not the rule back on that episode yep. and at that point literally they were supposed to be finding a cure for it. That's what they were tasked to do. Yep. Mm-hmm. So they found a the cure too late. And then they lied to them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's a it's definitely kind of a fuck They should me. do
1: a plot line in Picard now where the volachians still exist. They found a cure eventually, but it cost them like 90% of their population. Okay. And they come <laughs> after the Federation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Remember what you did to us 300 years ago? <laughs> that is one thing that Trek doesn't do great all the time is follow-up? Follow-up.
1: Well, I mean, a lot of all this, the though, time. these are the later um, series, though, you know, like Enterprise, right. at least. Well, but, in general. So, in the uh, in Lower Decks, though, they bring the uh, what the hell were their names? They were like salvagers on Next Generation. The Pecklets. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They bring them back on on Lower Decks. Nice. And, and they're they're a joke, basically. But right. still, they bring them back on lower
3: decks. They so yeah, were a joke in the next generation. Yeah, like I but, keep forgetting about lower decks. Every time we go to watch it, I forget it. Show. It's, I, it's, it's it, really it is rich. actually pretty good, and I, I keep forgetting. Riker is a
1: mani- I think I said this before. Riker is a maniac. On this. I gotta get back into it. And he he's voicing himself, you know, Jonathan Rance right. voicing Riker, and he's a fucking maniac, and it's hilarious. It's great, and and actually, I think I I. Uh, I told you before that my uh, my prediction for the the one main character on lower decks uh, at the end of the first season he gets transferred to the Titan, yeah. But he somehow comes back to the Cerritos, and I told you it was because Riker was a maniac, and they get into a bunch of wacko crazy <laughs> situations. There's a trailer out now. That's exactly what <laughs> that's ex- the first couple episodes. I get I guess are going to have Riker. It's going to be uh, Boimler. On the Titan with Riker. Yeah. And it's going to be shit wild. And he wants to go back to the Cerritos because like, nothing get, happens there. Yeah. Like
0: there.
1: I called it. Totally
0: called it. All right. So the next. Um, so how many more do you have other than the panel? Uh, One more? Yeah, me too. So and I, this think, I think they're the same. Might be. Star Trek The Next Generation, mm-hmm. Season 5. Episode 23.
1: Episode 23. <laughs> uh, originally
0: aired in, uh, May, on May 11, 1992? Uh, right? Yes. Okay. All right. So we do have the same episode. I Borg. Um, the crew discover a wrecked Borg scout ship with a single survivor. No, not that survivor. Not, <laughs> not Lola. Um, a single survivor, a, board journal, a young Borg drone. Dr. Crusher insists on treating the surviving board despite concerns from Captain Picard because this does take place after the lacute. LeCou- yes, after all good all things. And he's been or, uh, he best of both worlds, Yes. Yeah. So, on Picard's orders, the drone is confined, confined and monitored by security forces at all times and is prevented from contacting the board collective. The forge and data assist Crusher in bringing the board back to health. As they come to understand the workings of the Borg, Laforge and Data devise an idea of using the Borg drone as a weapon of mass destruction. By implanting an unsolvable geometric formula into his mind and returning him to the collective, the formula should rapidly spread, similar to a computer virus, and disable the Borg. Crusher does not like this idea at all. Again, it's the whole doctor thing. Do yep. no harm. Um, she considers it equivalent to a genocide. While Picard and the other senior crew deliberate the ethics of the plan, uh, the board drone, you know, initially calls himself third of five, uh, but ends up referring to and understanding himself as Hugh.
1: Uh, let me just jump in right there. Uh, so this is a another writing problem with the star trek universe so he calls himself third of five but uh seven of nine doesn't call herself seventh of nine she calls herself seven of nine Uh that's actually something people really picked up on Um, they even called it it was the uh i don't know they're they're different grammatical things that if you were to have a species that did that they wouldn't have done that Hmm. like he would have either been three of five or third of five And then she would have been the same thing. Um, So it's one of those things that people have picked up on, and they're like, why didn't they just call? So if he's third of five, wasn't why wasn't seven of nine? Seventh of nine. Yeah. Yeah. So that
0: was just just something to think about, something to throw out there. Yeah, that's weird. I never really thought about it like that. But I mean, I guess the answer you could get away with saying is maybe they changed. Maybe they changed it. it, Or maybe um, because the Borg is a species that takes over you from another species, maybe they. Different language things between the,
1: the the numbering should be the same. And yeah. I will even say too, they never did say exactly what species Hugh was. But um, I always assumed he was human because he looked human. He didn't have weird shit on his forehead as the rule <laughs> uh, stipulates.
0: Yeah, they never really do clarify that, I and mean, they really clarify with Seven of Nine. Yep. So, uh, so he's given the name Hugh by forge Hugh discussed how the Borg only wish to learn about other cultures through assimilation, but LaForge counters and argues that discussing aspects of individuality uh, that make them human and unique, you know, that's important. So in further debates, LaForge finds himself becoming a friend of Hugh uh, and begins to doubt his previous idea. This is further complicated when Hugh shows elements of individualism. The crew now debate whether it is appropriate to sacrifice one individual to protect the majority. You know, we talked about that idea. Yep. yep. Um, though Picard is still insistent on in destroying the collective, Crusher and LaForge arranged to have Guinan, who has a similar loathing for the Boar, because they destroyed her homeworld, speak to Hugh. And just so, uh,
1: for any Star Trek fans out there... Uh, if you watch Star Trek Generations, the very beginning of it, where the Enterprise B takes on a group of Ellorian refugees, that is when yes. the Borg destroyed their homeworld. Yeah. Uh, so the Borg, they retconned it in there, but the Borg uh, destroyed uh, the Ellorian homeworld long before anything in Next Generation, long before anyone, uh, in New quotes, New
0: knew about the Borg. Right. Yeah. Um. So, uh, where was I? Oh, she finds Hugh to be not a mindless drone, but a confused young man. And she agrees Hugh is no longer a board. Guinan convinces Picard to meet with Hugh as well.
1: And it's worth pointing out, too, that Guinan, initially, she was very cross with uh, La Forge in a little exchange they had at 10 Forward. Yeah. uh, When he started to express doubts about the plan.
0: So she went to meet him and it changed her mind. Definitely. Yeah, and Picard eventually comes to the same conclusion, in part because Hugh refers to himself as I. Yeah, that was the big. Yeah, instead of the board collective we during their discussion. Picard abandons the proposed plan and instead offers Hugh asylum with the Federation. Hugh expresses enthusiasm at the prospect of remaining with the Forge, but ultimately refuses, recognizing that the board will still come looking for him. Yep. He offers to be returned to the crash site where he will be found and reassimilated by the board. Picard hopes that once Hugh is co- reconnected, the sense of individualism Hugh has learned will spread through the collective. And to add on to that,
1: that's exactly what happened. Yes. Uh, when he went back, um, it caused the cube that he was on to be severed from the collective. And you can see the results of that uh, at the end of the next season in the episodes, well, the end of the next season, the beginning of the season after that, and they sent one and two with right. more. Um, yeah. So that, and then of course, Hugh makes a reprisal in Star Trek Picard as an uh, XB and X XBorg right. uh,
0: decades later. So the, this is that whole moral quandary of uh, the needs of the many, uh, versus the needs of the few or the needs of or how, how do I say that? Yeah, the
1: needs of the many, uh the needs of the few. And yeah. also
0: it just comes down to like,
1: you know, uh I guess bodily autonomy. Is it okay to make a person a weapon genocide uh, against their people
0: without their consent? Right. All that stuff. So Jesse will shoot it to you. Is that the right de- Picard make the right decision? Now, I think this is a really interesting one if you don't know Star Trek all the ins and outs because it's it almost makes it a little different
2: it does I think
0: yeah.
2: <sighs> she's thinking
1: I am
3: <laughs> I, I know you can probably hear the smoke coming out of my ears at this point <laughs> um I think he did because he left the decision up to uh, Hugh at the end, which really is what it would come down to for me, because by the end of the episode, Hugh was exhibiting individualistic tendencies. Um, I think if he was still very Borg-like, I would have tended to go the other direction and say it would have been not the best option and go maybe with the original plan or something. But um, maybe the, the way it went was probably the better option they had at the time, realistically. I don't know. I, I, I keep going back and forth with my thoughts on it. So stuck in the middle. I, I kind of do. I, I always end up in the middle with a lot of things because I see both sides of it a lot of the time. So I'm terrible. <laughs> I, I think,
1: I think, uh, they treated, so so near the end of it, you know, before right before they send him back, Picard's like, oh, well, I think his sense of individuality will damage the Collective somehow. I think that was like his sort of compromise where he's he still kind of thinks he's sending him back with a virus of sorts. Right. Which he did, because of what we find out later happens. Right. A year so later. Yeah. But knowing the threat the Borg had, uh, you know, presented and knowing the damage they would do, the damage they had done, I still think this is a, the, the, the wrong choice. And, and it comes down to, and this is a little bit more utilitarian. Morally, did they make the right choice? Yeah, probably. I would say yes.
3: Well, I think like Hugh was saying, though, regardless of what route you choose, there's going to be some impending threat. Yeah, but
1: you know, it's, it's, I, I think, I think it was the wrong choice because uh, he did damage to one cube going back just with his individuality, but right. they knew that if they sent him back with the virus, it they could have
3: wiped out everything, could have
1: wiped
0: out the whole collective. So, you know, I used to think it was pretty obvious, especially with the mindless parasite type of species that the Borg are, it was pretty obvious that the crew fucked up due to their emotions, and the Star Trek Boy Scoutism that we talk about, and they made a bad decision here. My opinion has changed a little bit on that, because you got to look at it like this. The opinion changes when you know the Star Trek universe as a whole, like we do. So between this episode and the follow-up episode that we're talking about, where, you know, later in the series, you find out the consequences, i.e., Hugh and some of the Borg branching off and then stupidly following Data's evil twin lore. Um, but then again, branching off again to fight him. Right. Yeah. But they showed a certain individuality there. Then you combine that with for all of Voyager's interactions, where you get seven of nine. Unimatrix Zero. Unimatrix Zero. You get all the three um, orphan Borg children. You get, um, you know, they become rehabilitated. If you even want to look deeper um, into the reasons why the Borg really aren't the mindless enemy bent only on destruction, is the fact that there's a Borg queen established in the film, um, and on Voyager, and Picard himself becoming more of Borg, and being re- rehabilitated, his own individuality. And the ability to turn back into a human shows that becoming a Borg is not necessarily a terminal issue. So my counter to that, I guess,
1: would be that whether it's terminal or not, the, I guess, the state of being a Borg, like, uh, I think Riker says it in their their ready room meeting, uh, there are no civilians on the Borg. Because crushers are like, sure. oh well, you know we're, we're waging war you know you don't you don't wage war against civilians it's like there are no civilians anymore and that's true you know so yeah maybe maybe you can you could pluck every individual out and after all this work they'll be individuals again if you have a way of just dis- destroying the whole collective all at once and I think as evidenced in the whole rest of Star Trek lore, even up through Picard, that's probably the case because even in Picard, they don't say the Borg don't exist anymore. Right. The, the the cube, the artifact, is just a disabled Borg cube.
2: Right. The
1: Borg are still out there somewhere. Right. You know, so so even everything up to that point, you know, he was basically just a, a, a normal person, you know, and the Borg is still out there. The Borg's still out there when Janeway's out there. Uh, what is it? 1992. So it was five, six years after on the that. The other side of the galaxy, where they were from. Yeah, but still, like it's you know the the Borg is still there.
0: Well, I even put that in my. They're still
1: there in '96 in uh, in first contact. Yeah, with, uh, on this side of the galaxy.
0: The other side of this is what we've seen with the Borg cable Law, mass destruction. Wolf 359 casualties were over eleven thousand uh, Starfleet ship. Starfleet officers killed on the ship. Um, now that's a lot, but in comparison to the Dominion War, and I showed you my little yeah, yeah yeah in comparison to the Dominion War, had over a million Starfleet casualties and an astounding ninety million casualties for the Federation planets. You know that? No, you know no, what? I haven't looked at that. Yeah. Um, now of course they would, they would not have genocided the Jem'Hadar or the Vorta, but a certain section of Starfleet intelligence. Did try to kill all the changelings in de- genocidal fashion, you with know, the, with, the, with the virus, yeah, to yeah. kill them. So it's a very similar situation. Um, and they actually went through with it, but not regular, certainly. Mm-hmm. They had to kind of come up with like a CIA type yeah. section, section 30, kind of thing. yeah. So getting back to the board problem, I think they made the the right decision. And I also think they proved with Q that there would be other ways to infiltrate the board collective without killing them all. I mean, you know, Star Trek episode, uh, no shoot, I lost my I'm starting to read the fucking beginning again. Um yeah, maybe that's where I'll end it off, but um that I get I get the whole point, but I think they establish enough in the series, they establish through all the different things that you can't just say that the Borg are um, not, they don't have uh, the right to exist.
2: I
1: I think there's a difference between rehabilitating them and seeing what they are when they're still in the collective. and that's that's really the thing. so. Yeah, you can take an, you can take individuals out, you can rehabilitate them, but the Borg themselves, I mean, they're they're probably the closest thing to just straight up evil
0: right. that that exists in the Star Trek. At first universe. contact, the movie makes a really strong case for that. Just yeah, the like, they can get on and ship a little bit and then
1: oh, it just spreads like stopped, a virus. Yeah, you know, like they just they they stick you with something and you're done, and that's it. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one of those things. It's not like you can't you can't reason with them, you can't negotiate with them uh, if if they want you, they're going to come after you. Right You can stop them, sure, but but you you with force.
0: I guess I get I see both sides of this, but um, I do think this is one of those situations where. Even though the middle ground camp was kind of a weak situation, I feel like you could do some other things. You know, think about how kind of easy it was to get Hugh. I mean, I don't know. I know the ship had crashed and he was a younger Borg, but I don't know. I feel like I feel like the Borg solution was was didn't have to be genocide. That's, I guess where we end off on that. All right, down to the last one. We both have it. The I think it's the best one. That's why I wanted to save it. That's fine. It's it's my my favorite episode of Deep Space Nine. Um, one of them in the top. I'd say in my top five in the whole series. It's really good. Um, season six, episode nineteen, in the pale moonlight,
1: April fifteenth, nineteen ninety
0: eight. By mm-hmm. the way. Do you want to read it or?
1: Uh, yeah. So this one uh, actually similar to uh, dear doctor is presented in like a narrative form. So Cisco is doing a personal log uh, talking about what happened here. And basically he's talking about how he and a couple other people decided to manufacture evidence uh against the Dominion to persuade the Romulans to join the war on the side of the Federation, the Klingons, and everybody else. Uh, in this episode, uh, the Romulans have basically a non-aggression treaty with the Dominion. They're not actually fighting in the war against the Federation, but they have a friendship treaty with the Dominion. So they're uh not, not pass through their space. Yeah. So they let the Dominion pass through their space. They let the Dominion attack from their space. Uh, stuff like that um so the whole thing is cisco's fed up with posting these casualty reports every friday morale is morale is shit um and he's trying to figure out a way he's like geez we need some sort of way to get the romulans to join the war on our side and the whole way he comes up with it he he talks to garrick uh and says hey garrick uh, get some of your boys who are still on Car- Cardassia Prime, which is basically the headquarters of the Dominion in the Alpha Quadrant. Uh, hey, get some of your guys there to uh, find some evidence that the Dominion is not going to leave the Romulans alone because that was the suspicion all along was that they're just, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's out of convenience. They're just being friendly with them for now and they will probably attack which is probably true. Right that's not how it turns out in this episode, but yeah, they were probably not going to leave the room. Um, so basically, uh, Garrick does this thing. He talks to his contacts. He pulls a few favors. All of his people get killed. Uh, he reports back to Cisco and says, Hey, I reached out to my guys. They started asking around. They're all dead. Yeah. And Cisco's like, shit. He's like, all right, well, I guess we're, we're shit out of luck then. And Garrick's like, captain, don't give up so easily we have other ways right so garrick uh points Cisco to this guy named graython tolar uh who's sitting in a klingon prison awaiting execution uh he's a i guess a a holographic forger or something um and he says hey bring this guy over to the station uh get him a pardon through uh, get Gowron to pardon him and uh We'll get him working for us, and, and he can do it. Um, we can put we can put the recording. He'll do a holographic recording of a meeting uh, where the, the Dominion is plotting to invade Romulan space. And we'll put it on this Cardassian data rod. that can only be recorded once. The only way you can even do it, usually, is yeah. uh, if it's real, it was recorded once, it can't be altered, it can't be edited, blah, blah, blah. So Cisco's like, okay, sounds good. We'll have this like irrefutable proof uh, that the Dominion is plotting to invade Romulus. And uh basically the whole thing turns into this big shit show. Uh the the Greathon Tolar guy, he stabs Quark in some stupid argument over a Davo girl. Uh the 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 payment for the optolithic data rod, which is the Cardassian data rod thing that they need. He has to give this person that's selling it all this biomimetic gel that's banned by the Federation for sale. It can be used in in like mutagenic weapons and all this other crazy shit. Um, So they go through all this trouble. Cisco, you know, bribes Quark into into not reporting uh, this Tolar guy for stabbing him. He, you know, he, he gets Bashir to sign all this gel over to this person selling the data rod. And after all of it, after the recording is made and everything, the Romulan center that they have to come check out the evidence that they've manufactured, he confirms that it's a fake. And this is that whole meme that many of you might've seen on the internet, the it's a fake, uh, where the guy's holding up the the data rod and he yells, it's a fake. Um, that's where that came from. That's the episode. Um, so obviously the Romulan center is pissed off that the Federation would call him out there and, uh, fake evidence, uh, to say that his allies were plotting against them. So he leaves and, uh, two days later, his shuttlecraft, uh, is destroyed in an explosion. And, uh, it turns out it looks like the dominion did it, but Cisco knows that's not what happened. All right. So he goes down to uh, Garrick's uh, tailor shop and starts beating Garrick up because he knows that Garrick's, th- he planted a bomb or something on the shuttle. And Garrick says this to him, that's why you came to me, isn't it, Captain? Because you knew I could do those things that you weren't capable of doing. Well, it worked and you'll get what you wanted. A war between the Romulans and the Dominion. And if your conscience is bothering you, you should soothe it with the knowledge that you may have just saved the entire Alpha Quadrant and all it cost was the life of one Romulan senator, one criminal, and the self-respect of one Starfleet officer. I don't know about you, but I'd call that a bargain. Perfect line. Oh, my gosh. Red, greatly active. Still gives me chills. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Garrick, this is like Pete Garrick right here. Yeah. Yeah. basically it turns out he knew that holographic recording probably wasn't going to work his whole play in the first place was to get that Romulan so, nice. senator onto the station so he could plant a bomb yeah, in nice. and then and then by the time they analyze the wreckage uh the damage done to the data rod would just look like not a forgery but it would look like damage Damn from the explosion,
2: explosion.
1: Yeah. and sure enough it works uh by the way, Garrick also killed the uh, uh Thon Tolar guy. They kind of gloss yes. over that. They don't show it in the episode, but that's implied, and that's why he says uh, one criminal as far as the cost. Yeah, he, he, he just went to his quarters and killed him. Definitely. Um, and, yeah, so, yeah, basically, Cisco involved himself in a criminal conspiracy to and then involve... And how, how does the episode end? Be- uh, the episode ends with the Romulans
0: declaring war on the Dominion, and Cisco deletes. Yes,
1: so the whole narrative uh, thing of the episode with Cisco doing the uh, uh, the personal log is right at the end. He he says, "Hey, computer, delete
0: that personal log." Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's him getting it out for his. You know, Therapy, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Yep. He's getting drunk during the whole thing. If you notice, it's unbuttoned. Yeah, yeah. He's got his vest on the on quarters. I read. Um, you read. You read the quote from Garrick, which is great. His quote's good too. Yeah, Cisco's. But good. I also read a quote by Andrew Robinson. Oh, okay. The actor who plays Garrick, he compared Starfleet to Americans in general. Mm-hmm. He said, "We're not re- really, ugh, we're not really willing." to take the consequences of our actions. And sometimes we have to do very dirty things and we have to hurt people. And we, we pretend that it doesn't exist, that Americans would never do that. We dealt with issues like that. And I don't think, you know, the other shows really went as far as we did. Uh, that's perfect because actually Star Trek back in the 60s,
1: uh, the Federation was the allegory to America. The Romulans were the allegory to the to the USSR to the Russians. Right. Um, and yeah, no, that's perfect, because the the Federation as the Americans was always thought to be the uh, moral compass of the galaxy and is thought to be the moral compass of of Earth, you know, as, as right. the United States. And uh, it, it doesn't always work out that right. way a lot of dirty shit is done behind the scenes to make things work out.
0: Right. While morally wrong, realistically, it's so right. You know? While Picard, Picard probably would not have gone through with this, I don't think. He's too Boy Scout. Um, you know, his mentality would have been to come clean. You know, he's too honest. Yeah. Um, this escalates, too. In this episode, so it escalates
1: from Okay, I just gotta ask, you know, my buddy Gowron to get this guy out of prison real quick. Because who cares? He's just some nobody, you know, waiting execution. We'll just get him out of prison. And then it escalates to, oh, we need that biomimetic gel. Then it escalates to uh, you know what do we do now? Like, like, and then Garrick's like, I don't know what we can do. Yeah, you know, like it just keeps escalating. Oh, well, and then bribing quark about the Davo girl and getting stabbed and all this stuff so like it just keeps escalating 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 and the whole time he's narrating he's saying i should have known at this point i should have backed out i
0: should have done this i should have done that but he doesn't he keeps going the whole way and he doesn't know obviously the whole plan like you said it's kind of it starts out i mean the whole thing has good you know um What's that Say Plausible it. deniability. Well, yeah, plausible <laughs> deniability, but... Um, Escalation. Built on best intentions. Yeah, whatever, yeah. You know, like, he has good intentions, um, but it's, uh, you know, to get to the good intentions, it's paved with a lot of, with some bodies and some morally not good the road Cut. to hell is paved in good intent. That's the thing. Yeah, and, and he even he says that at the beginning of
1: the episode yeah, says, and that's when the first stone was laid or something. Yeah. Like
0: that. And the episode's so well done. Did you know originally? Because I read a whole thing on this, they wanted this episode to be um to have it. It was originally written that Jake, his son, who's a reporter at this time, um, he finds out that something is screwy with this whole thing. And he wants to report on it and uh, you know giving Cisco a bunch of shit about it and saying people have the right to know and Cisco keeps block ends up blocking his new thing I out. Heard that. and uh, and then they said they they didn't they didn't think the fight between them was is believable just because they've already established how close they were yeah. um, so ended up and it ended up being a very Jake Sisko episode, so he's not even like barely in the episode. I think I
1: probably agree with that too. Like, I think Jake Sisko would have been like,
0: okay, I'm not
1: gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna report on this.
0: Yeah, it was too, uh, but you take,
1: can't. I mean, right. they're literally saving the Alpha Quadrant by doing this,
0: yeah, like they needed the wrong ones, yeah. And the episode does such a good job of showing at the beginning just how bad things are going for the federation and the casualty list keeps coming out and the war is like the, they keep losing oh and we both didn't mention this and it was a cataclysmic event Betazoid oh yeah yeah, yeah. it gets invaded at it's, yeah, it's yeah, taken yeah. over Yep. and that's one of the major founding planets of the federation yeah now they originally, were doing, and they even say in that like that puts them in striking
1: distance of Vulcan, Teller, and yeah, something else. Originally,
0: they, when they originally wrote it, they actually were going to do Vulcan, mm. but they decided that that was too close. Um, there was too much baggage with that, yeah, yeah. so they wanted they but they wanted it to be one of the founding members, and that's why they did that. So. Do we even have Jesse talk about this one? (laughs) (laughs) Go for it.
1: Um,
3: Did they make the the right
1: decision or not?
3: Um, that I don't know. I actually one of my notes I saved probably
1: hundreds of millions of lives. Quite a few.
3: So Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, and two people died for it. Yeah, one of one of my notes was again: do the needs of the many kind of outweigh the needs of the few? Because you weigh in that. those numbers but i oddly enough the quote you read by robinson is um i did have a how far do you go to achieve your goals kind of thing um and one of cisco's last quotes in um right before he deletes his log it stuck with me i wrote it down was um he repeats twice i can can live with that that." like he's kind of convincing himself yeah after he's listed off all the things like you he's don't know just if he's asking
1: a question or if right,
3: a as yeah. if he because he he just listed off all the things that he's done or been involved with to some extent and yeah he's he he says i can live with that like he has to still convince himself that
2: he's okay with it twice. at least
3: yeah. and uh, i think it was twice um and then he deletes the personal log like he's really still not okay with it because He doesn't want anyone to know what just happened really. And I mean, if, if he, yeah, if all that had to happen was, (laughs) I mean, you saved that many people and one or two people died. I really, I don't think that would be that much of an issue. I understand that, the person or people that died were probably higher standing but i don't know i i yeah. i think i think what happened needed to probably happen because the war a, needed to end
1: it's important to note too that the dominion was not like the federation the dominion was not like they were just trying to exist. You know, They were trying to peacefully coexist and the Federation was in, right. in, infringing on their territory. The Dominion wasn't occupying, invading hostile right. force.
3: That was the impression Period. I got from like, that there episode. Was no,
1: there was no ambiguity about that. The whole right. point is that the founders who run the Dominion uh, want to bring order to the galaxy and their way of bringing order to the galaxy is via dictatorship. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's very clear.
3: So they were like Hitler's Germany.
1: Yeah, exactly like Him Germany. They have they have culture,
0: they have they have
1: all of the things that any society might have, but it's brought to you by a dictatorship.
0: Yeah. And I think this episode too, it's not so much about the Dominion. You know, who gives a fuck if you know you're not worried that they're gonna turn somebody against the Dominion? But it's the moral. Yeah, it's it's Cisco's issue with the moral slip and slide of war. Right. The moral, yeah. like, okay, when's two enough enough? Is this, this and that? But again, and it like really goes says, step, by step by step. It goes step yeah. by step. But what Garrick says, really cheap. Like, it's not like he had to sacrifice a, a ship or a planet right. station a even. Or again, right. Not, it's yeah. it's a it was two people, was two people. A scumbag criminal that two people I mean, and not a good morals. person.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And
0: then the Iranian senator center and
1: uh, An asshole own. Romulan senator too. Well, like they're all, literally the worst of them. They're all. Eyes. Yeah, but it was. <laughs> they're they're, all they make a point They're like, you know, this is the most pro-Dominion senator. Yeah. That the Romulans have, and if you can convince him, he'll go back and spread that around. Yeah.
0: You know, like this is the worst one they had. Right. Okay. So really, definitely cheap, and you know, Cisco's got to live with it. But you know what? He when he goes and gets the casualty report. Next day, he's got to live with that too. He's got to live with that too. And when he could have done something, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yep, I think that one, it, like you said, it's fun, but that one, it's kind of a no brainer, yeah. that yeah. I
1: think it, I, I love that one, it's my favorite. It's probably the easiest, though. It is probably the easiest.
0: So, other, I mean. You'd have to be a really contrarian fuck to come out on the opposite side of that. Yeah. Like, oh, no, he should have done it. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. dishonest. Yeah. I mean, it's war. <laughs> that's yeah. the other thing, It's war. It's not like it's peacetime. It's fucking. It's like World War Three. Yeah.
1: Oh, and, certainly and, and really World War Four. And and nobody will ever know about it. The only people yeah. that are still alive that are party to it are Cisco, Garrick, and, uh, not even cork, really, because no. he didn't know why. So, yeah, Cisco and Garrett,
0: that's, it's it. Here. that's yeah. it. and
1: That's it. And, you know, fine. Garrett can keep secrets. So, yeah. And, yeah, so that's it.
0: All right. Well, we definitely did yeah. it. This might be the longest podcast ever. <laughs> <I'm from. laughs> We're Not, closing out on in two hours, right? Uh, Something like that. Yeah, I don't know
3: exactly when we started, but. Well, um, you'll have plenty of uh, stuff to go on. Definitely. So.
0: If you're still listening, you know. Um, thanks for joining us. I think it was a good episode. Um, you know, feel free to rate, review. Um, if you if you think we missed something, if you have a you know, if you think we're wrong,
1: angry comments, diatribes. Yeah. I mean, this is Star Trek. People get
0: angry. Oh yeah, uh, you know we love it. We love it all. So
3: if you never uh, want to hear another one about Star Trek. <laughs>
0: uh hopefully our my my uh my audience likes star trek songs but Let, let's um, hope so <laughs> we're
3: still gonna do movies
0: so
1: definitely we gotta not. rate the movies this will not i be, gotta
0: watch the movies <laughs> this will not be the last star trek episode but it will be for a bit i got a bunch of guests coming up um a, a crazy variety um so stay tuned and um i'll see you next week